Our next speaker is David Gonzalez, who is a postdoc at the Melbourne Brain Centre in the Multiple Sclerosis Division of the Melbourne Neuroscience Institute. His PhD saw him dissect the biology of neuroblastoma, and he's taught anatomy to near on an entire generation of Melbourne University medical, dentistry, physio, and science students. That is, if you call a generation about six years, and knowing kids these days, it could be true. <laughs> David. Thank you. So um, I'm going to talk to you about the history of anatomy dissection and how that sort of uh, developed and impacted modern, sorry, oh well, maybe modern but prehistoric medicine. Um, and I think it's only fitting because it's what I did for a long period of time, dissect a lot of bodies and teach people anatomy. Um, but before I talk to you about my hero, I have to give you a little bit of history about how anatomy dissection actually made its way into medicine uh, and um, how it's developed uh, into lead up to my, uh, um, my hero in science. So we've known about anatomy for, I don't know, when you, if you try and Google origins of anatomy, you, <laughs> you just get everything. But we've known right from hunter-gathering that if you throw a spear at an animal and you hit it in the tail, you've failed. <laughs> the animal runs away and you're hungry and your friends are angry and you know. So that side of anatomy we've, we've developed, we know about mummification, uh, that, that sort of, you know, thousand, nine thousand earlier, B, uh, sorry, nine thousand and earlier BC, we know that people knew that if you take organs out of a body you can preserve it. Mind you, if you're um, eating food, and I don't think I'm going to talk about anything too disgusting, but uh, you know, yeah. Anyway, just just a, just a warning. Uh, but um, the first sort of actual information where we know that people were doing dissection on human cadavers and sort of using that to, to forward medicine comes from two sort of different parts of the world, but around about the same time. So it's quite interesting. So we know that the ancient Egyptians were using anatomy dissection. And we also know that people around the Indus Valley civilization and sort of ancient India were also using anatomy dissection. Now, we have a document from the ancient Egyptians that's called the Edwin Smith Papyrus <laughs> because of a guy who bought it. <laughs> but in that document, we know that at about 1500 BC, they were doing all sorts of procedures. So they knew about cauterization, they knew about um, different kinds of cranial injuries. They knew how to manage certain types of infection. And they prescribed anatomy dissection. So they, they said, to, to understand these things, you need to understand the body. And to understand the body, you have to look at it, which is reasonable logic. And then if you go all the way over to the other side where the Indus Valley was, you had a, a, a society that was very fascinating, the Indus Valley Civilization. And um, around 4000 BC, we find the first evidence of dentistry. So these guys were drilling teeth. They were drilling premolars and molars 
4,000 years ago, and they had information about different kind of jaw problems and so on and so forth. And then if you follow their treatise down to about 1,000 BC, you come to, this is according to the Anatom Journal of Anatomy, you come to a, a, a person, a surgeon, a famous Indian surgeon named Shustra Samaita. I don't know if I've pronounced that correct, and I'm Indian. <laughs> so, so, Anyway, this guy was remarkable. So he wasn't allowed to do dissection of human bodies. So the culture at that time was no dissection. So he worked, it wasn't so much dissection, it was cutting a body with a knife once it's dead. So that sort of limits your options if you're wanting to do dissection. So he worked out ways in which you could, you know, you could, you could ferment a body. <laughs> In, in a stream, in a slowly moving stream. And this is a perfect example of how science can corrupt the mind. I mean, if he was walking through the beautiful parts of India with his friends, he sees a beautiful sort of, you know, Indus stream, and he's thinking this is perfect for fermenting bodies. <laughs> his friends are probably not anywhere near that zone. And <laughs> it gets you. <laughs> but anyway, he worked out that back then people would get their noses removed if they were adulterists. And he performed the first vascular flap surgery. Now, Australia actually has the sort of history behind this that, that we're kind of responsible for vascular flap surgery and there are some professors still lurking around if you walk through Melbourne Uni that 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 are, that, that are very much part of the origin of this trait. But he was performing a primitive version of this about a thousand years, thousand years BC, which is quite, quite remarkable. Now, both of these two societies, even though they were quite geographically in different places, one thing that's very interesting about them is that their education systems were quite similar. Even though their hierarchical society system was completely different, the Egyptians had people who were up the top, people down the bottom. But the Indus Valley was kind of like sort of socialist. They, they can't find in their civilization remains of areas where there would, would have been some sort of head honcho. So, you know, they don't know how they govern themselves, but they were doing it well. Now, both of them had sort of free access to education. So, in Egypt, it was a bit more, if you were a little bit well, more sort of well-to-do, you could access doing things like medicine and, 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 you know, law and, you know, pretty standard, you know, what's going on today, nothing's changed. Um, and over in the Indus Valley, it was kind of, if you wanted to study something, if the person teaching was allowed, sort of accepted you as a pupil, you could do it. So it's a very interesting way that education worked. This sort of is part of what I'm going to talk about later. But then we've got to ask ourselves, this is 1,000 years BC, what happened? This was very, very progressive information. This is knowledge that we had, and all of a sudden it, it, it disappeared. Well, that region was tormented by changes in, in sort of rulers. So we had um, the Persians that came through and sort of basically ruled from Egypt to India. And um, with, I guess, war and turmoil, a lot of the information was passed on by word of mouth. And if you lose the individual, you lose the information. And this is a big, big, big issue. But the, per the Persian king who sort of conquered the whole region, um, Cyrus the Great, he actually commanded the largest empire in, by population in history. Um, he recognised the value of ana an anatomic, uh, anatomical dissection and sanctioned it. He said it was okay, you could do it. 
But very soon after he took power, um, the Greeks came through <laughs> and took over. Basically, Alexander the Great came through and took over from Egypt all the way to India. <laughs> so this sort of region of the world. And I'm only focusing on this part of the world. I've sort of ignored South America. I don't, I don't know what goes on over there. <laughs> but <laughs> if you want to talk to me about it, you can talk to me about it later. <laughs> anyway, the, the, the Greek religious tradition or the, 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 the traits were that you weren't allowed to do dissection. So one thing that was lost was people, and the other thing that uh, changed was that you weren't allowed to do anatomical dissection, except one of Alexander's generals, the one who sort of was commissioned to Egypt and India, experienced some turmoil. He was, in his battles, hit by things like poisoned arrows from Indian you know, side, and he witnessed the, the amazing healing abilities that the Egyptian... Um, physicians had and he decided that he would lobby Alexander to say look the, I, I need this dissection to happen I need it to be okay and it must happen in order for us to develop some kind of proper medicine and in actual fact that's where um, Hippocrates, Herophilus, all of the famous Greek medicinal men, Aristotle, they all set up a school in, in Egypt in Alexandria and that's where they did their medical practice. That's where they learnt the dissection. Now, these guys were brutal. They did vivisection, which meant you would get someone like Herophiles come into a room and there'd be several uh, captured prisoners and he would decide which was the best specimen to dissect and would live dissect, which, is <laughs> which you can see in terms... Most... I mean, that reaction is pretty obvious. And was probably received in a very similar way at that time. Anatomy dissection wasn't viewed upon as being something that was something nice to do. Then the Romans came through and they were strictly against it. They did understand the value of the Alexandria school. So the early Romans allowed the school to continue, but not with dissection. You weren't allowed to do human anatomical dissection. Now, the early Alexandria school luckily produced this fantastic scientist by the name of Galen. He was almost my hero, but my hero is a hero for different reasons. He was an amazing scientist and he worked out from the old sort of literature, he sort of put together a book and that book was used for almost a thousand years. But the Romans, the Persians and the Greeks had a different system of education free capital market. So, so you could get education if you had the money to pay for it. So it was held by a few people. It wasn't like the systems of Egypt and the systems of ancient India. Anyway, then the Roman society started to change. So the ad, sort of, not advent, but the occurrence of Christianity and the sort of change towards the Holy Roman Empire meant education started to change from being people that you pay to teach you to um, monasteries that were teaching large volumes of people. Now, this was something that I came across that was odd and I didn't realise the early part of this sort of transition, they were all for anatomical dissection. So they were doing this sort of uh, behind-the-scenes dissection where the, the people who were teaching anatomy were sort of getting okays from the Pope to, to do dissection behind doors, and they were teaching students to do uh, dissection. 
And this brings me to my hero. Uh, and my hero was born in Bologna in 1270. Uh, his name is Mondo de Lucio, but everyone Latinized their name, so his name is Mondo de Luisi. Now, he recognized something that was very different to everybody else. He realized that you can't just, you can't be so closed off with this trade. This is something that's furthering information. You've got to do something about it. So he was the first person to sanction public dissections. I know, this sounds quite odd. But you could only do, basically one of the popes said that if you're not doing natural science in line with us, you're in line with him, <laughs> the evil one. So he recognized that there were areas in Italy and areas in other parts of the world where if you're not doing dissection by a sanctioned means, you can't learn it. So he went over to Venice and he did some public demonstrations in Venice. I don't know if these were received very well, but the physicians who were there, they, they found it invaluable. He then managed to convince the Pope to do a public demonstration in Bologna, not only to uh, uh, sort of the higher society, it was sort of open. So anyone in the region could come and look at it, which was, he didn't get much of an audience, <laughs> but, it, but it was able. So the first thing that Mondo did that I think was, I'm just abbreviating his name. <laughs> But the first thing that he did that was quite amazing in my book is that he changed, he was willing to sort of go out there and advertise this to change people's condition about how they felt about it. And even today, I mean, if you think about anatomy dissection, I remember the first time I went into a dissecting room and I was totally wigged out. You know, <laughs> standing there, and there's a weird smell, there's like bodies <laughs> everywhere. It's, it's not a comfortable situation to be in, and it doesn't matter who you are, if you've never been there, it's very difficult for you to work out that it's odd. But once you've been there a few times, you know, you go in there, you feel really hungry. <laughs> Formaldehyde, I mean, uh, anyone who's done some real dissection, <laughs> I'm sure there's some of you in here, you'll know this. <laughs> The second thing that Mondino de Luisi did that was, I, I think, that was quite amazing was back in the old day, the way that anatomy was taught, so out of the Alexandria School, Galan produced a book, and that book was just the Bible of medicine. And people, professors, would sit in a big chair, really big chair. I don't know, was it, it was the Twitter thing sent out with the picture of Mondo in a big chair. No, not sent out. But if you, if you have that picture, have a look at it, and tell me if you can see anything that's odd about it. There might be something odd about it. If you've got the picture, have a look. See if you can tell. Anyway, he, never, he decided that this is useless. I'm sitting in a big chair. I've got a demonstrator. I'm reading out of a book. The demonstrator is saying something to the audience. Then there's someone standing next to the demonstrator sort of saying to the audience what the demonstrator is saying because often he's speaking in a different language. You know, it's just, this doesn't work. So he decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to come out of the chair. <laughs> I'm going to come out of the chair. This book by Galleon, I love. This is an amazing book. And he couldn't sort of move himself away from it because he was so sort of, he, he was really infatuated with this guy. <laughs> anyway, he decided that we've got to put the anatomy in people's hands. 
We've got to write a text so that they can do the dissection and learn for themselves. And he wrote the first manual for anatomical dissection. Now, this was then used for 200 years. Uh, himself, he was a pretty shitty anatomist. <laughs> I don't mean disrespect, but he thought the heart had three ventricles. Yeah, it's clearly a problem. <laughs> there were several issues with his actual descriptions, but that's not what I'm really interested in. He changed the way that anatomy teaching was delivered. So he took it from the sort of separated professor up here to bringing it to students. Now, the reason why I mentioned that um, picture is because if you look at that picture really carefully, you'll see that the person doing the dissecting is a female. Now, this was just out of the question. Mondo De Luisi took on female dissector. Now, the Egyptians, the Indians, the Persians, the Romans and the Greeks didn't educate their female side of things in medicine. That was no-no. Nor did anyone else. But Mondo was the first person to take on a female demonstrator. At some very young age, it's a bit worrying <laughs> in light of Rolf. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, he's a professor. This is, yeah, <laughs> let's leave that aside. But he had a female, he had a female dissector. Now, I actually went through and had a look at the number of people, like sort of notorial people that he supervised, and his percentage was 75% male, and whatever the rest is female. I'm an anatomist, not a mathematician. <laughs> Run away. If you go to the Australian Bureau of Statistics and you look up the current stats on male and female applied anatomists, surgeons, etc. Surgery is 90% male, as at 2011. 2013 document. Some dis disciplines are even worse. You know, orthopedics, 95% male. Neurosurgery, 95% male. This is in 2011. He had better stats with training females than... Anyway. So... I've tried to keep this a little bit short, but in, in, in large, <laughs> what a, basically Mondo's book was then published in Padua, which was the next sort of epicenter for anatomy. They produced this guy named Vesalius, who ended up sort of revolutionizing the whole trade. And from there, we've got pretty much modern surgery. The point of my story is that Mondo is not my hero because he did anything particularly good in terms of anatomy. In actual fact, he set us back a bit. <laughs> he wrote a book that was really quite useless, <laughs> except for the fact that it encouraged people to do dissection. Um, but the reason why he's my hero is that he advanced the medical field massively through social change. And I think as scientists, we, we, we lose sight of this. You know, we, 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 we have this, you know, you're in a lab and, you know, you, know, you, you need results and you're publishing good papers. Blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of things that I think can be addressed that if, you know, sort of warranted some of our attention would be great. Anyway, that's why Mondo de Luisi is my uh, scientific hero. Thank you.